Hey, how you guys doing there? From the Black Swan Media Studios, deep inside a secret underground bunker, we're speaking to freedom-loving patriots from all around the country and the world. Welcome to the Resistance. This is John Crump live. Welcome, 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 Wolverines family. Someone today said to me, you know, Wolverines like that. And I looked at him like, well, not really looked at him, but because I'm on the phone, but whatever. I was just like, does he know? Does he know? And then it was totally about something else. And I was like, you know, this person doesn't know me for my uh, post uh, on, on YouTube or anything like that. But I was just like. And he was talking about a scene from that movie that had nothing to do with me and I was like, or anything that I've talked about. It was just, it was, it was something totally ridiculous. But, but you know, you you think it's like, does this person know? I didn't know they knew. But whatever. Um, let me bring on Rich. Rich, how you doing? Hey, good. Yeah. Okay, so um, I'm going to tell a story here once we get the safety doc on here. About, uh, Is it about safety? No, no, it's not about safety. I mean, uh, safety. Who who likes safety? John and Flying Rich. Hey, guys. So I'm waiting for the story here. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Wow. So if, if I did an exposed video on Rifle Ready 2000, um, and he is one of the people that um, the ATF got information from off Gunburger. And I talked to him, right? So I called him up, left him voicemail. He called me back. Uh, I'll get to BD's rebuttal. I haven't seen it yet, but I knew they were coming out with one. So I called him back. Uh, he called me back and... He said that uh, ATF agents 20 deep stacked up on at his door and came through the door and took his computers and everything. They were there for 20 minutes with the search warrant, and then they left, and he haven't heard anything back besides that. Um, and he said, uh, gu- well, they might have got it from Gunbroker. I don't think they did. I, I'm going to say right there, I'm positive they didn't but he's like but they didn't get it from me because I would have got notification it's like oh okay so they left 20 minutes they started the search warrant 20 minutes didn't say anything else to you on the left and he's like yeah and I'm not going to say if I believe him or not I'm going to let you guys determine that so you say yep yep but I had to just stick to the facts my lawyer says I, I can't say anything else I was like Oh, your dad. <laughs> and, and then there was silence. He was like, yes, my my dad is a lawyer, but I'm talking to another lawyer. So I was like, all right. And I was like, so they left without taking anything, without saying anything. Yeah, they just left. Like, well, what about the solvent traps that you had? You know, because... And he was like, no comment. And then he said, I, I think we better handle this through email. <laughs> <laughs> so did you see a list of things? Um, where, what are they confiscated by the ATF on the federal registry? No. No? I just knew. Oh, okay. Because, you know, that, that was the thing with BDU. BDU is like, well, you know, some friendly ATF guys came. Yeah. Some wild and crazy ATF guys came. Yeah, it, it takes... And we had it, a friendly conversation. It takes about a month. For it to show up on the uh, registry. Yeah. Because I told you they took stuff before. Before you... Oh, yeah, we had that conversation. Yeah. Bean table. If if you file form four, then you do it from nothing. Then maybe I don't. I don't. I don't know, man. No one really knows. 
it's almost impossible to get a four. I'm not four and four, four and one. It's almost impossible to get a four and one. I don't know anyone who has gotten a four and one throw in the last uh, couple months. So I would try to get a four and one before I do anything else. Oh, hey, uh, I just want to say congratulations to Ron Wayne. He broke 2,000 subs, I think Dude, it was today. He's going to pass me, man. Right? Right? He's killing it. Dude, that's awesome. Ron's a great guy. Yeah, yeah. he's, I don't know, if he was on a streak. He posted 34 days in a row. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, uh, that's hard to do, man. I've done it. Uh, you guys were supposed to do it with me. <laughs> Didn't happen. Yeah. I've just had a whole bunch of distractions. Yeah. All right. So let's get to uh, safety doc. What's up, man? Hey, well, first of all, thank you, uh, John, for having me back. And, and uh, you know, Flying Rich uh, for helping to to set this up and, and you know, love both you guys, right, and, and all of the, all the work that you do. So it's really a, an honor to be back. Um, I'm doing great. I biked 81 miles on Tuesday. It, oh my! Uh, yeah. Which is pretty typical. That would probably kill me right now. So, <laughs> no, I'm that serious. It probably would kill me right now. <laughs> I don't want to, John. I don't want to. Don't want to kill you. So, but you can. Uh, 81 miles. So I felt I felt great. Um, got yeah. up early and and just a beautiful sunny day. So. Um, I'm doing I'm doing really well. Um, I'm getting ready to instruct my university class classes for fall, and I teach aspiring uh, school leaders, so superintendents and principals. And that's where I was uh, digging through this bipartisan Safe Safer Communities Act, which passed and went into to law on June 25th of 2022. Here, and there, there's a section for school safety. And I was trying to figure out what this means. Right, I still know what it means. I mean. Uh, it's pretty wild stuff and trying to to decipher this so I can talk about it during class. But also then I wanted to reach out to you guys and say, hey, like there's a lot of really wacky stuff that is in this bill that's going to impact school safety, gun ownership, um, and also some big things I think that were were missed, right, in, in this bill. Um, so I, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting in that today because I think there's going to be some very dangerous slippery slopes that school administrators are not prepared for. They have no idea this is going to hit them. For example, just a little like, you know, leap ahead in this uh, FBI law enforcement coming to a school saying, we want this student's records, you know, well, why? You know, because they're, they're going to buy a gun, right? This is now part of a background check. So we want their behavior records and attendance records and whatever, all the way back to kindergarten. So we're going to talk about stuff like that today. And there's a, a lot of things right now that I'm trying to prepare cool. people for. All right, let's jump into it then. All right. <laughs> so, so the bipartisan safer communities, I, I always get a kick out of when they have to name something like bipartisan to make it seem like everyone was on board. Yeah. When it's like guy. 15 people. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So bipartisan safer communities, Act, which was, was really, to be honest, right, the act that came out as a response to the Uvalde um, school shooting, right, the Rob Elementary school shooting, this was the we have to do something um, response to that. So th there's a significant part of this which is focused on schools. There's other parts focused on aspects of community safety. But today I'm going to talk about the school stuff because that's my background. I was a school administrator for a number of years. I've been on TV to present about school safety. I've written books and things like that. Um, so I've got five points I'm going to uh, I'm going to talk about uh, that I pulled from this. The first one is they created a website, um, schoolsafety.gov, and the reason they made this website and they they're putting you know funding into it and all of that is because they said schools don't know where to get information about safety. Uh, how to run drills. And we're not talking, again, about intruder drills. We're talking about everything, you know, school safety during inclement, you know, weather, or if you have, um, you know, a, electrical power outage or something like that. All these aspects, like there isn't a clearinghouse where schools can go and get information. They can download tabletop exercises, forms, videos, all of that. So this site was created. This is brand new. The problem with this is that they already had something. It was a readiness and emergency management or remsedu.gov. 
Um, so rems.ed.gov. So this is from Homeland Security. So Homeland Security is in charge of this website. And I did a critique on this website a few weeks ago. I don't think it's very good at all as far as like sharing out useful information, right? Latest news. I mean, I can get that in a phone app. I don't need a website to tell me that. But they created this website because they said people don't know where to go. Well, people do know where to go. It's, it's rems.ed.gov, and that's through the Department of Education. And REMS um, for years has, this is really good. This website has been out there for, you know, beyond five years. I, I use it in my class. There's a toolbox where people can create uh, forms, tabletops from any school in America. They can upload it, and then other schools can use the same thing. They have trainers that come out to your school and teach you um, effective ways to prepare for things, tornadoes, floods, stuff like that. They come right to your school and do that, and they work with your students. And they have, you know, classes that you can can take webinars. So this might die. This might be gone um, because now we have SchoolSafety.gov, which completely wasn't necessary. So the so it's one of those things too. It's like I see a lot of this in education at the federal level, where something gets created and it already existed somewhere else in another department, <laughs> and they forgot about it or no one brought it up and say, hey, like there's a that already exists, right? So that's one of the things, that's probably the most minor thing, right? But so they create this schoolsafety.gov clearinghouse, completely not needed. It's going to confuse people. And if anything, it's going to erode or completely replace what is already a very good and effective clearinghouse website, readiness and emergency uh, management, rems.ed.gov. So the second thing is there is $1 billion coming out for school mental health. And I kind of pause at that because um, things get kind of put into this, this basket of this is a mental health issue, right? Like uh, school violence is a, is a mental health issue. And, you know, maybe to some extent, right, that might be accurate. But to say you're going to put a billion dollars into schools to address mental health. What does that really mean? I talked about this on PB, PBS back in 2019. I said, nobody really knows what mental health means. Is it a student who's feeling sad or is it anxious or is it anger? And how do schools do this? Schools aren't set up to assess for kind of these, these mental health um, need areas or even conditions. They can't diagnose. The staff don't have license um, qualifications to diagnose. So how do you do this? So we have a billion dollars because mental health is a buzzword. Um, it's also a low-key, L-O-K-I, low-key, um, the Norse god of low-key, right? Um, something bad is happening. You blame the low-key. Um, during the pandemic, you know, smash and grabs are, are rising and politicians say, oh, it's because of the pandemic, right? It's a low-key. So by use, mental health is a buzzword, putting a billion dollars into mental health right now. But I, but I dug into this, right? I'm unpacking this. I'm like, what does this really look like? So half of this money, or $500 million, half of this money goes toward what is called school-based mental health services professionals demonstration grant. That's a, that's a lot, right? School-based mental health service professionals demonstration grant. So I don't really know what a school-based mental health service professional is by definition, but anytime you see the word demonstration grant coming out for something in schools, right? Um, that is something to pay attention to. A demonstration grant is, is basically like saying, oh, we're going to do in the field research, right? We're going to put this money into all of these districts and then we'll come back at the end and we'll have them report out what happened. And then districts that seem to have the most success will say, hey, like do what they did, like replicate whatever they did. And the thing is like a demonstration grant is not research. That's not a research model. You know, it would be, you know, think of treating, you know, somebody for lupus, right? And you you give all these different people these different things, and then you just try to figure out, well, which people may, might have felt better. And you don't look at other variables, like, of, you know, the, where they live, did they exercise, you know, all of these other things. You're just kind of looking at the money that, that bought these, these interventions or treatments. So, um, as I looked at this, I said, ooh, what they're going to try to do is they will look, they will take this and make it look like they're doing research, right? They're going to, it's not research, but they'll make it look like research. 
So research is, is very rigorous. If you were to set up a research study for mental health in schools, you'd have controls, right? You'd have some schools that didn't get the grant money and measure how kids did in those schools. Um, you, would, you would try to account for the variables um, such as, you know, schools that um, were elementary, middle school, and, and compare these things. But anyway, these demonstration grants are basically pretend research grants. So that's one of the things. So there's these things in research, they're called constructs. They're things you want to measure. So let's say, you know, you, any of us complete a survey and the survey is 25 questions. There's probably like three or four questions that are trying to figure out like um, certain, to, to dig at certain things. So in schools, if there were actually constructs, one would be awareness. So like you'd want to measure, if this was actually research, which it's not, you'd want to measure how people become aware of mental health services. So mm -hmm. you put this money out there and all of the parents are like, I don't, I didn't even know this was available in the school, right? Or a kid's like, I didn't know I could self, you know, I could see a counselor and, and get mental health services and, and what is mental health? But I didn't even know this was available, right? Teachers, how do they get, how do they know it's available? So that should be something you'd study. Like that would actually be part of research. Because what I find when I talk to administrators are like a lot of people don't even know this is available in the district and then parents can simply opt out also they can say we don't want our child to be in this and we'll talk about that in a little bit terminology like you know a student reports i'm feeling sad or depressed well what does that mean um how do you objectify that so if you have 20 students who report that they're depressed or anxious that their behaviors would be pretty consistent of what they're reporting right so um, getting inter-rater reliability terminology. So, you know, if any of us three, we say anxious, like we, we would have, that would mean pretty much the same for all of us. Um, Self-advocacy, how students can advocate for services they know, can they do it on their own? Do they do it? And the last one is environment. Like, how do you measure the environment? There was a study in um, California, and actually it was, it was along the, the West Coast in 1999, it's called the Hashong Mahone Study. And they simply, they, they went to thousands of classrooms and they measured how much light was in the classrooms, natural light from coming in from outside. <laughs> and what do you think they found, right? You know, classrooms that had more sunlight, students academically performed better and had fewer discipline um, incidents and, and kind of like all of these things correlate, right? Yeah, I read that. I read that. <laughs> so, and, the, and it was... It was a huge funded study, I think, from like a power cooperative or something like that. It was just crazy, but um, but it's a very very good study. And one of so one of the things, right, when you do this this type of mental health, we know that if somebody just spends time with you, right, um, and shows an interest in what you're doing, especially as a, as a kid, that you're more likely to report. I feel better about myself. Um, and you, you know, that you're happier. I feel like someone's interested in me. And there've been many studies in, um, you know, um, inpatient mental health environments where that's the case. Someone can just be with somebody else and that person will report that they feel better. So mm -hmm. what effect does that have in this? You'll never know. And then the environment too. I mean, there are many things which just get thrown out the window, kind of literally here as we talk about windows and light and stuff like that. So, um, but all of all of these things which we start to introduce of variables class sizes schedules hey this school has a block schedule so um teachers are with students for a longer period of time this has a nine period schedule day so there's more moving around for students and maybe there's a difference we don't know and you'll never know because this isn't research it's being passed off as research and to me that is that's an immediate red flag no one will notice it though and there'll be a big pat on the back and a round of applause in a couple of years as some schools come forward. And guys, you know it, right? When schools are asked at the end of this, this grant, and one is a grant expires, a grant, this grant will last for five years. And then hypothetically it's gone unless it gets refunded, uh, additional funding, but it's gone. Um, so at the end of the grant, you're going to say, the grant was awesome. Our students felt happier. They had, you know, whatever. And and it'll be these, these subjective type of surveys or but the thing is, you, you're not going to ask questions of like, did you have less staff turnover? Did you increase truancy? No, it's just going to be this big show. Mm -hmm. of like, we want more money. The, the money's gone, so we deserve another grant because we're so good. And now people can come here and watch what we did. So I'm like, I, I look at the way that this is funded. And this is set up to dump a lot of money into schools um, that have no. So 
in 2015, there was a mental health in schools bill that was before the Senate and House. And actually, it was a, it was a good bill. I went through it, um, had a framework for how you would measure mental health in schools, how you would continually fund it year after year, how you get families involved, community agencies, and had a, a strong research, research component to it. That didn't pass. It was never brought up for this um, bill. So basically, you hand money to schools, a big amount of money, without this whole framework for how to implement mm-hmm. it. So what you're go- we also have this issue right now of schools are 100,000 um, teachers short right now. In the neighboring um, county, which is our state capital, 600 teachers short right now coming into the school year. Um, so it's this weird thing of like, we're going to fund all of these hypothetical mental health providers. It's like the IRS thing. We're going to add 85,000 agents. Like, where are these people going to come from? So, so you're going to hire mental health providers, but yet you're not going to have teachers. You don't have teachers. Where right, you right. Your, your core business. It is your core business. So as, I, as I've been telling people, I said, imagine like your house, you have a smoke alarm, you have four smoke alarms in your house, but only three have batteries. And, right. you know, but now you're going to hire, you know, you're going to buy, buy or rent, you know, these half million dollar fire trucks and just park them in your neighborhood in case there's a fire. Well, wouldn't, wouldn't it make sense, right, to have that, that fourth battery and that fourth alarm? Sure. And, and that's the fact that people are missing. I think it's also going to cause a lot of resentment between teachers and who are saying, hey, you know, I have been working with, you know, 40 students because we haven't hired another second grade teacher. And now there's this outside mental health expert who doesn't have to comply with any of these, you know, they're not, they don't right. sees one kid a day. Yeah, right. And, and they're getting, you know, this, this money and there's, they're really not accountable mm-hmm. to anybody and, you know, no state testing for their kids and stuff like that. So, so I, I, in the other part of this guys, right. Is it pathologizes students that can have the tenant, a tendency. If you get this, you're going to want to put students into these services. Right? Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. We're hundred percent utilization. We need more money. And, and so this creates a situation where, um, and this is kind of new for schools. How do you document that a student might have received mental health services? Again, not saying that's good or bad, but just saying now it exists. And what does mm-hmm. it look like objectively down the road? Is this part of a student's record forever? That Who can obtain this record if they had mental health services, if they didn't help <sighs> subjectively be perceived? Parents right now, when I teach my superintendent classes the last few years, the one thing I hear from my soups is parents are very nervous about having their child receive services because they don't know if the school will protect that information. Meaning right. meaning like a, a, a hack, right? Oh, hey, like our, all of our school database got hacked. I worked at a school sure. at the end of my career where you know we were all brought in and notified one day, hey, like all your all the stuff got hacked, so might want to watch. <laughs> so this is it's a big thing so i mean we get into this we get into these mental health dollars coming into schools um and and this isn't research again that's something i just uh, keep putting that line under this this is not research um no of course not uh, basically they're they're just handing out money It, it just seems like they're they're paying off constituents like i i made a post today um talking about handing off money where I posted that uh, the Biden administration just spent a half a trillion do- half a trillion dollars of taxpayers money on votes yep yep this I mean right and because this is a five-year grant it'll span an election term a presidential election term I mean it's it will be easy to point to this as doing something and I would argue but this isn't this isn't solving anything there's no long-term solution and uh, and i'm not guaranteed that this will have any short-term positive effect on these districts if anything i think it's going to um, amplify this this strain on already very scarce sources so when i presented on 2019 on pbs you know i said it's already like three four months for students to get evaluations for mental health mental health providers and psychiatrists and stuff like that and um so you know, we, we talked about that school shortage and, and Rich, you had mentioned, right? Like your core business, Des Moines, Iowa, their public school district right now is offering $50,000 for a teacher as a bonus. Des Moines, Holy Iowa. crap. Yes. Uh, Des Moines, Iowa. And if you go to the state of Georgia, 
they are contacting teachers who retired in the last few years and giving them a similar type bonus. And in Georgia, like <laughs> out of out of like 50,000 people they contacted, like, you know, a, a few hundred contacted them and said, maybe. And it's, this also isn't working in Des Moines where they're doing, you know, the bonuses. Um, and so I'm looking again at this and saying, as you said, Richard, right on, your, your core business is failing. So to bring in all these ancillary supports while you have severe entropy is like, you know, painting a rusted boat that is not structurally sound, right? And the teacher uh -huh. would say, hey, like if, if we had smaller classes, we got to know kids better, um, it, a threat assessment team, if we did have concerns about a kid harming self or others, we could get on it faster um, if we were properly staffed. Like that all makes sense, sure. not part of this bill. And again, because this puts that five years out there for mental health and because it's a grant, if I'm applying for this in a district, I'd be really nervous. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to uproot my family or try to buy a house where I'm being paid by a grant, right? So you're only going to, you're probably going to have a lot of teletherapy with this. You're not going to get people to fully like commit their life to something that in five years could be totally gone. So, um, yeah, so, so we have a lot of just kind of ignoring, yeah, the core business. And, and the other thing is, I don't know where you're going to get these people to come in and to provide these services unless you lower the bar of credentialism. Like, oh, you know, if you take a one month course, right, you can come in and do this pseudo quasi therapy thing, I think, which would be really dangerous. Um, so I'm not a fan of that unless, unless you guys are taking a different take on it. I don't know. I haven't, but yeah, it, it just, well, I guess my general opinion about laws, um, you, you think Ted Cruz sits there with, you know, a piece of paper and a pen and, and scribbles something out and maybe talks to people. No, the, these things are written by special interest groups, okay. you know, shoved in front of somebody's nose that say, hey, pass that. that. That's why we have, you know, multiple thousand page laws going into effect that nobody gets to read beforehand. Oh, absolutely. And and I, I you know, will almost guarantee that when I have my my classes this fall, which will start very soon. You know, this this will be, you know, first day stuff where I'll go through and say, hey, like, you know, what do you know about the bipartisan safer, you know, communities act and how it impacts school? And I will have in front of me, you know, you know, 20, 30 people who are first year superintendents or, you know, principals. And and they'll be like, what? <laughs> like, I don't know about this. I'm just trying to set up a schedule for, you know, students and make sure the bus runs on time. Um, so they have they really have no idea and they might you know their business manager might come in and say hey we have all this money the cares act was a disaster my god by in my district or in my conference my sports conference a neighboring district used their cares money which was supposed to go toward things like you know improving hvac and whatever and they built a football field with a, a artificial turf they and, they and they openly stated it on their board minutes that this was done and, and they could because they, they only thing you had to do was to make a compelling argument that it was for the fitness and, and health of your students. They said, you know, here what students can use this. It's easier to maintain. We can, and that's it. So, so yeah, this, um, you're going to have this money coming in and I, I, I don't know. I, again, I think it's way off the mark again, core business. I mean, Rich, you know, we didn't talk about this ahead of time and immediately you're like, well, your core business, right? Right. Right. Like that. Right. Well, it's it's like a paint store getting stirs, but they don't have any paint. Right. It's, just, it's like you it's don't just, need the stirs if you don't have the paint. You're right. I mean, all all of these things, uh, these are perfect analogies, and and so it's extremely frustrating because uh, you know part of school safety is you have a lot of vendors, and there are people who will just jump at this and make money like crazy like they'll say oh like i'll come in and offer because you know what do, how would you measure this if it was effective or if it wasn't effective or um you know these quasi mentoring programs that might come in and i i don't know um so, well, so there, there's yeah. got to be scientific method to these things and and i'm i'm a big proponent of it i know i do things like say i'm 3d printing something and i'll change two things because i think one of them is a problem and I'm like, all right, that's shoddy scientific method. But if, if I get a good result, I'm like, all right, I'm going to just stick with it and make note that one of these two things were correct. Right. So, and that's, 
and that's part of this. So let's say that you were to do this as kind of an in vivo, um, I, I don't want to say research, but to, to document, at least you could gather the processes, how schools tried to approach mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. you, could, you could have, I don't know, a research team from universities look at the process and, and analyze how different schools went about this. So that would be something, again, that doesn't exist because it's just, here's money, district, um, spend it, and mental health, you can put so many, and, and mental health guys, around me, some of the school districts have what they, they now call mental health days where you can, as a teacher or a student, um, have two to five days, you don't come to school, you just universe, you, you unilaterally declare it as a mental health day. Hey, it's not my day today, I'm not coming. And, that, you know, as a teacher, you get compensated. This is in contracts, you get compensated. And as a student, it doesn't count against a, uh, it doesn't mm -hmm. you. You can have 10 days a year of unexcused or excused absences. But oh, uh, gosh, Wait. I, I think they cut it down to like five days a year in my high school <laughs> when I graduate. Like you you had five absences a year. That's it. Oh, man, man. I, I, so I'm looking at this and, and I, I did a show on this maybe, I don't know, six, seven months ago. And I said, if you just give people a, a day off, it doesn't help them, right? Because um, you're not having them do something specific to address mental health. I don't even know if that would be, right? But, but just saying a day off. But what they do is they come back and say, now I have an extra day's work, right? Like the stuff I wasn't able to teach and the sub didn't really teach it. And my students are taking state testing, you know, and I'm accountable for that because how they are, their test scores reflects on me. I'm like, you're not helping these people by just telling them to stay home for a day. Like that doesn't help them at mm -hmm. all. And it's the same thing with, with kids. Like if, unless you would tie that to some activity, which nobody is doing outside of, oh, like read a book or listen to the radio. I'm like, well, well, like I could tell you that. I mean, that is not a mental health activity, right? To, I heard somebody actually say this, like, well, we tell staff to go home and listen to a radio station that they normally don't listen to. And so it makes them shift their, I'm like, that's, what is hocus pocus science here? I'm like, can I get in on this? Like, here's here's my 1099 form. Like, you know, I'll I'll hire me on, man. Right, I, right. Stuff better than that, you know. Dance around without your shoes, you know, or something like that. And I'll, you know, but not trying to make um, to to you know shed ill light on it, but to say that's how ridiculous some of these things are, um, because nobody knows, right? And and when they're pressed to make it to try to legitimize it and objectify it, they come up with something that's really crazy that they might've just Googled and found off of NPR. You know, people who listen to different right. stations on their way home tend to, you know. So I, I live in Palm Beach County and I'm a, there, there's a couple of things that I'm pissed about. So they, they made this big thing about increasing the sales tax one cent. And they're like, oh, it's just a penny. It's 1%. It's like, no, it's, not just a penny it you know they called it the penny tax right. like yeah if you spend a dollar it's right. a penny tax i don't maybe the dollar store if you say that but not when you go to walmart or costco and you're walking out with two three hundred dollars worth of stuff and then you add up and, over time it's just not one it's well, like it's not like a penny a year right 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 and then they said well half of the penny is going to be split with the county to fix the roads I'm like, that's what the gas tax is for, right. is to fix the roads. And then the other penny was to fix the schools. I'm like, so the school taxes that we pay don't fix the schools? It's like, wait, what? And then, so they built some hurricane command center with that money for the, instead of roads, the hurricane command center. Wow. Oh, okay. And I'm like, what the f you know and the schools the next year they proposed a budget increase because they wanted more money to keep the good teachers Ooh, okay i'm like well can they get rid of the bad ones you, i'm i'm like it, it just it and the freaking sheeple in this county all voted to keep the good teachers. They voted for the gas tax or, or the sales tax, and they voted to, I'm like, you jack wagons, you're just sh shoveling this money. Meanwhile, like the superintendents of school, we got like a revolving door of superintendents yeah. that are golden parachuting out on 300 grand a year for life, plus medical. And I'm like, how, how can we afford that? 
No, no, it's a, it's a great point, Rich. Um, and I'm looking at these programs and saying, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you support and back these, or the, you know, these teacher bonuses and people coming. And, and as mm -hmm. you, superintendents, that's about a two-year. Um, you know, the soups stay for about two years, and then they, they typically mm -hmm. move from district to district, and and they usually have well-negotiated packages when they exit, yes. especially when they exit their final district, or if they come into a district knowing there's uh, some turmoil, right? And they say, you know, I'll come in and, and do whatever for two, three years, but on, then on my way out, you need to give me this. And they know mm -hmm. it, right? I mean, I've seen contracts, which are mind-blowing, that I never saw early in my career, um, you know, that are being put together for administrators and, and teachers. Um, and I'm just looking at this saying, Coming back also to to the taxpayers and, and sustainability, like where where is this? Like you can't be oh, yeah. in Des Moines a fifty thousand dollar bonus for one year, um, and not have that affect your mill rate or your tax rate. And then sure, what does it cause for social proof? The, the district next to Des Moines is like, oh my god, like no one is working here. They're all going to Des Moines, which really isn't right. Happening. Right, and, and it creates. I'll a, drive twenty minutes more to go to Des Moines. Right. It's, it's really a spiral where you just lose control and suddenly property taxes go even more bananas and you can't undo this once you 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 let this go. So that's where I, I've been in this my entire life, you know, like accountability was there 15, 20 years ago. I mean, you would have annual meetings, school board meetings where you'd set how much you were going to um, ch charge right to your so per $1,000 property, at least in Wisconsin, like you might get charged $14, $15 for, you know, your school tax or whatever it was. But um, but today, and those were contentious. You'd have people showing up at those and like, you know, this is too much or what can we do to lower it? Or, you know, can you make the roof last a year longer or whatever? And now nobody shows up to those meetings. And there's so many workarounds that have been put in by the mm -hmm. different levels of government that even if you... If, so if somebody comes to that meeting and they're outspoken, you you couldn't say you're causing disruption. And remember Merrick Garland, people causing disruption at, at board meetings in November of 2021. They were terrorists. Yeah, that was my district. You could have that person referred to an, an agency, right? I mean, you could say that they are causing That's crazy. a, a, a dangerous environment. And your your freedom of speech, your your First Amendment rights to petition, to assemble, to uh, redress your grievances, all of that up. Oh, FBI is coming after you. And that is that is um, black and white. What was in the the documents? And these aren't leaked documents. These are public documents which were right. were out there and still were, are unresolved. By the way, like this was supposed to be the the issue of uh, people coming as you would assume constituents the board meetings and if you if you perceived as a school administrator school board i guess that they were um disruptive um violent uh, likely to bring harm again these are perceptions i mean yeah i would talk to superintendents this was very very rare that this was happening and, the, and when it would happen it would hit the news and it'd be amplified so it seemed like it was it was happening most people are very very respect respectful at school meetings um, but if someone is raising their voice or they're more organized or whatever, um, I mean, this could happen, right? So, so people have to measure when they would go to meetings and, and put their opinion out there saying, Hey, like, I don't want my taxes to go up because you're giving $50,000 bonuses. And, um, you know, pretty soon that person applies for a loan for a new vehicle and they don't get their loan approved and they find out, Oh, I'm under investigation. Right. And these sound, this sounds, it sounds like hyperbole, but it's not, um, it's really scary. And as, as I talked to my um, students last year, I said, you know, are you being asked? Are you being directed to record everybody who's in your audience? Like, you know, to video record them. Are you, and then I started to go and say, if I, you know, people were saying, I'm going to present at a board meeting about, you know, whatever. And I'm nervous that my words are going to be used against me. Or and I said, well, record yourself or have somebody there who just has a camera on you and timestamp right. everything. So you have a record because it's not like it was three, four years ago. Um, so, so guys, I, I also want to get into, um, there's something that's really tricky in this. Hey, it's CNT designs. Um, great guy. Really tricky in this. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Great guy. Um, there, they opened up an easement in this legislation of saying we can do, we, I guess, as, as the people who conduct background checks and maybe, also the the police it's again it's not very clear but 
it's in the bill saying um, if, if a adult student, so age 18, you can be in school till you're 21 if you have a, a disability. But so let's say, you know, someone who's a senior, maybe a junior, it, um, it goes to legally buy a firearm. As part of the background check, um, the background check can now include a request for school records. What that means, nobody really knows. This is, has been done before. Um, mm -hmm. You include uh, students' school records. So is it your grades? Is it your discipline records? Is it your mental health records? Um, is it attendance, right? So That's here's something. one of my questions I had. Yeah, so here, and nobody, it's not laid out. So this, this, and, and schools start it, right? Nobody knows what this means. So, you know, somebody comes in schools likely will comply or else they'll contact their attorney and they'll say, what should we do in this? You know, we, we have a request for this. But what if a student received mental health services that the school was offering, right, as a freshman? Because, um, you know, they, they were identifying anxiety or depression or something and they received services for a quarter and, you know, that all went well. And suddenly now, you know, at age 18, you know, they're, they're buying um, a, a firearm. You know, my state, they're buying a, a hunting rifle and, you know, going to go deer hunt this fall. And suddenly, as part of a background check, the school gives over this record of saying, oh, you know, when they were a freshman, they received mental health services. Now, somebody will say, oh, God, that'll never happen because there's FERPA and HIPAA. But you don't know that. Nobody can say no. it's true because this is not defined. And there will be right. some schools who will just want to comply and they will turn these records over. And then it's subjective. Somebody reads this and they're like, oh, so maybe this person isn't in control. They had some anger issues. So they had a two-day suspension because they had a fight on the bus. And again, I want to bring this out because these are the type of things where that will that they will be microanalyzed by people who have no context in a school setting, how these things work. And and not looking at the whole body of, of this, this person, but taking this and using this as we're going to approve or not approve, right? This is going to, and does it stop there? Does it follow the student if they're going into the military, if they're going into a, you know, a, some type of job application down the road? But, but the fact though, schools don't know how to respond to this. Every school administrator I've talked to, I'm, I'm calling up. I got another good soup I'm talking to um, on Tuesday, a good friend of mine. He's like, I have no idea on this. If we got a call, wow. If somebody came in from, you know, it, it, it was saying, hey, this, this student here attends your school, they're 18, and, and you know, they, they, they're buying a firearm, so we need whatever. He said, I don't know what to do. Like, we have no guidance from the state, from the feds. I'd probably call our school lawyer, and the lawyer would be like, you know, and it would all probably be case by case. And, um, but, and, and could you, could you be coerced into doing, to turning this information? I mean, I, I, this is scary stuff because schools are very good at protecting student data in general. I mean, um, outside of like hacks and stuff like that of, of data systems, but you know, be, part of it is because students with disabilities, individuals with disability education act, students with disabilities, uh, that information has been very well, um, uh, protected by schools so that that doesn't that doesn't get out um, students who are on free to reduce lunch stuff like that but um, this is this is scary like I I'm looking at this thing what can they ask you what would you turn over what could they force you to turn over and then also how do they make a decision based upon what information you give them um, so you know this comes out I think with Nicholas well, there, there's no parameters for that, which is what's the crazy point is, you know, how do you determine what information is shared? But I, I used to work for a company. We did pre-employment background screening and there was certain information we could share and there were rules about that. Uh, you could only go back four years if the person was going to earn less than $40,000 up to seven years if they earned greater than $40,000. Um, if it was an arrest but not a conviction you could share the conviction information but not arrest information there are all sorts of parameters uh, in the background check industry on how you could share information right right so that's not here 
like that is so does that get developed out of case law does it get pushed down into some additional order to the states to put that together like nothing's here and the, the game has started i mean this is like the kickoff right and the receiving team takes the ball and they're like okay like so what's the rule like we gotta run if we down it here you know we get it at the 25 i mean it, it's the game has started and the rules aren't put in place and i think this can be extremely dangerous i also think Imagine again. Uh, I was kind of going and looking, thinking, why? So why would you really do this? Because like Nicholas Cruz, and we could go back into some instances of school shooters where um, the police had been informed or FBI uh, well in advance multiple times of of this person's intent to bring harm to self or others. But is this a way then to shift the blame to another institution, perhaps you know, like schools? And that's where you know I'm trying to help my administrators, you know, look at this too and talk to your to your uh, legal counsel in schools of, of, you know, that you're not the one pointed to of saying, oh, the school should have known this or this or this. They should have extrapolated because, right, the student had the suspension on the bus and there should have been more services in the, I don't know. But the fact that nobody can answer these questions for me and I'm, I'm bouncing around all my, you know, attorney connections as, a, as I'm working, you know, this class for fall and stuff and it's just not out there. So I think it's, I think this is extremely dangerous. Um, it opens this door. Some schools, the positionality of the state is immense. People don't realize that. If you try to do an open records request now for a school, let's say an open records request where you say, I wanna know how many students in elementary K through five um, had a office discipline in you know, the first quarter, right? That's what you're asking. That might that might cost you like ten thousand dollars for the school to comply with that, which isn't again. I'm not trying to be dramatic with that. I have a number of of these these um, articles where I bring out, especially in my state, where if you're requesting anything now, there's this this huge fee because they'll say, oh, it has to be this person. We think it'll take this amount of time, and you have to read it. And so even stuff that is pretty straightforward. So this this whole transparency of trying to figure out how schools operate is really dimming. And again, I don't, I don't know what they're being, I, I don't, I have no idea how schools will apply to apply this. Right. And I think they're scared. I think superintendents are very afraid of like, what if I don't comply with, with a background? Like, am I, am I going to then get in trouble or, or what happens if this, you know, student um, who could legally obtain a firearm is denied? Then so I, I guess the scenario and the scenario could work either way. It's like, uh do i report this kid had a fight in the lunchroom and if you do and he gets denied am i responsible or if you don't and something bad happens are you responsible i mean right on rich it's a catch it's a catch-22 right and um so part of it and let's face it i mean through discovery so i've been an expert witness right through discovery this broadens out discovery um also of trying i i, I think this, so this bill looks like it's trying to say, oh, we'll find out sooner if, if a child, uh, right, if a student um, has alarming, I guess, all subjective, right, alarming behavior, alarming tendencies that we need to intervene with or whatever. Um, but this, this as, as you said, right, it's, it's subjective. Um, it can go either way or, or they could, maybe somebody looks at this, it just comes back to a school and said, wow, like you, you didn't do enough on this. Even if the student does nothing, like they deny it, I mean, I so it's one of these. It, it's it's a it's really slippery. Nobody knows what this is. Everybody's scared of, of it. Parents are scared of it. Like if if you're an adult student um, and you apply for a firearm and you don't get approved because of something, now is that something that follows you into other places, or can you apply mm -hmm. in the future for a firearm? And now as they do the next uh, background check. A year later when you're out of school you know um so it is one of these things where i look at this and i'm like i i don't see where school records have really impeded things that have happened in the past you know like schools having records and sharing it's usually like people the, people did know things and things didn't happen but more from a police side not from a school side it was from a law enforcement right right fell apart. so I, this this freaks me out um because I, I never expected to see this. And again, with such short term, you're going to implement it. You have to follow at school. Uh, yeah, so, so those of you who are parents and especially you know, if you're 
adult student is purchasing a firearm, this could be part of it. In many places, it probably won't be, but it could be. And and again, I, I think what it, it really is trying to do backhandedly, no one will ever say this, right, is, is trying to bring, um, to broaden his base of responsibility in the event that something does happen with a firearm purchase mm -hmm. and that student was predisposed, maybe, right? Someone says, oh, there were these different things in their past, which you probably would find out through discovery anyway. But Right, right. And so, like, and I've got a, there's another part in this, which is really just baffling to me. So, um, guys, how many states require schools to lock their doors? I have no idea. All right. Does anyone want to take a take a guess in the chat here? Paul, one, Paul, and Corn Pop want to take a guess. How many states? States. It, so it's federal. There's nothing with it. How many states require schools to lock doors? Just throw throw something up there. All right. Ron is saying. Uh, I'm going to guess zero. Okay. And uh, Rich is saying zero. Okay. So it's closer to rich. It is one, one state requires schools to lock their doors. Um, that state is Kentucky. Wow. They passed it in 2020. And I checked with, um, I, I checked with my attorney connection, then also my uh, hardware, my door hardware connection on this data to make sure I had all of this right before coming in. Sure. Time. Only Kentucky. 2020, Kentucky passed a law saying during instructional time, your outside doors and your inside doors, your classroom doors have to be locked. And they actually funded a marshal to go randomly to schools and to do checks, right? To do audits with, and at these buildings. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. There was a lot of pushback from people in these schools saying, oh, like it screws up our air conditioning and it's a real hassle if kids are gonna use a bathroom. But the thing is like doors should be locked because you have non-custodial parents. You know, you can have someone who's, who's a transient coming into your building. You need to know who's in your building. Like that oh, sure. doors should be locked. I mean, that's that should happen. So. Um, you go back to um, uh, schools that have had acts of violence um, taken out against the school, and, and you go back and you look at their handbook. To this day, these handbooks will say, teacher should lock door, not teacher must lock door or staff must lock mm -hmm. door. Mm -hmm. So why, why isn't that part of this, this bill, right? Why didn't the, the feds come out and tell the states? And if the states weren't going to comply, by the way, I think the states would comply with this, but... If the states wouldn't comply, the feds would say, well, then you're not getting your allocation of mental health funding or whatever. I mean, kind of like the 18-year-old to 21-year-old drinking age thing. I'm not saying this is the right way to play ball, but I'm just saying the states likely would have agreed to this. And and this, we know that locking doors keeps um, schools safe, um, especially, again, all these instances of, of, you know, people coming in who shouldn't be there, non-custodial and people, vagrants, you know, whatever, um, sexual predators, things like this. There are many reasons to lock doors. So that's an obvious slam dunk to me. And yet, like, it was never here. States don't bring it up. And of course, the states put this strong language out there. Oh, we, our best practice is that you should do this. I'm like, well, should is, is garbage. Like, should for anything, no one is going to really. Sure. And if you legally get pressed on it, it's always an option. So to me, that shows, too, that this really wasn't well thought out. And this didn't want to hold anybody accountable versus like, you know, taking this big um, plow of money toward a problem. So the only thing you see is the money you can't see over the top of it. Right, right. So so I'm looking at this as saying, this is, this is crazy, right? I mean, how in the world, again, maybe maybe I'm, this is just in my mind, but I'm looking at this saying, why, why aren't doors locked? I mean, and why aren't there consequences like if, oh, like if you're not locking your doors, then you know, after two times you lose your job or something like that. I mean, I just, right. I don't, I don't get this. Um, but again, I think it shows the, the, you know, what we can put in front of the public and, and mental health dollars are trendy and, and like, you know, school, school locks, that's not a sexy item, right? Cameras, maybe. Sure. You can see them, but I mean, people have no idea if you can see live. Yeah, but, but again, cameras, there's so many problems with them. You know, saying you put a camera up and without, you know, an SLA attached to that, it, right. it's very meaningless. And who's monitoring that? Right, right. Who's right? Who's monitoring it? And, you know, something else I found, I know we're getting toward the end, something else I found missing from this bill was um, if you do have a Sentinel School event, um, let's say, let's say Uvalde, 
one of the things missing in Uvalde, and it's missing from Uvalde, the, the Waukesha parade massacre, you know, driving a vehicle through the parade and stuff, all, all these things. But one of the things that's really missing in school events of any kind is saying, if you have video of this as a student, a parent, a neighbor with a ring, ring doorbell or whatever, like submit your video. They don't want that. They, they absolutely, they, whoever's conducting investigation does not want that diagnostic feed. They don't want these, this metadata to do provenance. What happened first with different angles. And I'm like, how is that something that's not part of this too, of, of creating a sure. portal. So immediately after something happens, whether it be this or someone driving, you know, an SUV down a parade route, why is there not a portal put together to obtain all of this, this metadata that is timestamped and establishes providence and of course is evidence, it's not out there and they don't want it. You know, I bring this stuff mm -hmm. up and people are like, nope, like, you know, and I'm like, why? Now, why don't they want that? I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know. Hmm. Um, which seems like it completely makes sense. And like everybody would get on, on board with that, but right. That, that is, and we've never seen it guys. We've never seen like, Hey, if you've been in this, we're in this area on whatever day, or you're, if you're at the parade and you have video, um, contact this number or whatever. Or contact right. This. Right. We don't see that. And it's see, it, common it, it, David, I had an event 1 AM Tuesday morning. Somebody drove by with a 1970s Brown Suburban through my neighborhood. And I, I live on a U-shaped road, so I don't know how many people actually know where this road is and mowed down almost all the mailboxes. Whoa. So we organized and we tried to figure out who had cameras and if they had any footage of it. I mean, that was the first thing we did. Makes sense. But, so again, you know, we, I, I think a lot of us are all like, well, yeah, this seems obvious. It seems like it makes sense. And yeah, like it's not obvious to anybody else. Um, or, or when you put it out there, it just like is crickets. And, and that's where, um, when I wrote, by the way, School of Errors, Rethinking School Safety in America, the most honest book ever written about the $3 billion school safety industry, in audio, I narrate it. You can get it for $7.99 on downpour through the end of the month. Otherwise, like 20 bucks on Amazon. But it's an awesome book because this is the type of stuff I talk about. And people use this book as kind of like the the their little wedge to put it into the door so they can get into a discussion where people don't want to talk about school safety. They're like, you know, mm -hmm. uh, this, this guy seems to be talking and saying this stuff's not really making sense. And, and, uh, you know, all about right safety and, and, uh, you know, uh, people in learning in environments, um, where, uh, you know, uh, right. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, it's it's frustrating. We see it when when these things come out, these bills get passed. Um, it doesn't do anything to um, address the root issues. It's it's surrounding things with money or, or covering up with dollar bills, so so people feel that something is being done. But I, I said there's very dangerous things going on. This access to records, which was almost impermeable in schools, for people to get access to records from the outside, which was a really good strength of schools. Um, to now have that opened up and to not have that defined, oh my God, it is, uh, it's pretty terrifying. I mean, as a parent, like I'm, this is like, whoa, um, you know, it's part of a bill, right? Yeah, that, that's, uh, I'm not a fan. I, when you think about the United States was created by a document that's four pages long, they're big pages, but they're right. four pages long. Right. When when we have bills getting passed through that nobody can possibly read, uh, it, it's very discouraging. Right, right, it, and and where it's ultimately things like this get interpreted through case law. Someone would challenge, I mean, which would take months, if not years, um, to say, "Oh, you shouldn't have given this out," or your interpretation. So it's discretion. Professional discretion is huge. And I center every class on that professional discretion. Are you acting in the best interest of yourself or of your student? And, and personally, I mean, and I'm very on the defensive with this. And I will convey that to my students. I can do what their Board of Education Legal Counsel advises them to do. But um, I am, and I continue, I have phone calls lined up. I will continue to press with legal counsel and, and agencies, groups that represent school boards and things like that to come out and have clear position statements and clear protocol of saying mm -hmm. we will do 
you're going to have to sign off on this. Like we are going to have a responsibility statement that you take responsibility to secure this information once you have it. So if it's leaked through you, it doesn't. And then, you know, again, even if all of that comes out, you have someone subjectively on the other side, you know, it's like this whole IRS agents thing. Like you hire 85, you might have somebody go through a year of training and now they're doing audits of someone, you know, that, that, as a business and they're trying to, you're going to have people look at this who aren't trained. You're not a psychiatrist. You're not a psychologist. You're law enforcement looking at a, something that was done in a school that was now classified as a discipline event or behavior, or it could be mental health. Um, and as you said, Rich, does it go back four years? Does it not go back? And, um, you know, right. they go and come right. in and say, well, we need more information. So we're going to come in and, and we're going to sit down with this student and interview them about the, the fight on the bus or, uh, whatever. And so this, this is law enforcement shouldn't be, you know, coming in and including this as part of a, part of a background check. Um, and now that it's there, it, it is, uh, it, it won't, I don't think this will be reversed. Right. So we just continue down a slippery slope, but I, I'm going to work very diligently and I'll probably write like articles about this, of schools of like, you know, here's how I would respond or not to respond, or if they're going to do this, to make things completely out in the light. So you have a paper trail, you have records, you have things that go before the board, maybe with student re information redacted, but just a number. So maybe your board is aware of all this. It gets put into board minutes um, because this can, can go bad in a number of ways. Yeah, it definitely can. Well, we've been on for about an hour. Uh, thank, thanks for it for doing most of the heavy lifting here. Uh, uh, no worries, John. Strong. I have He's a strong guy. Uh, no, I have I uh, I have uh, COVID and pneumonia and all that other good stuff. So. Oh man, I'm hanging in there though. Yeah. So Crumpy's isolating in his mom's basement. Yeah, actually, today is my fifth day, so technically it's last day. You need to isolate, but not really better. So whatever. All right, guys, I will see you later tomorrow. If no, tomorrow's fifth day. Nope. So Monday. Well, what is the today, Thursday? Today is Thursday, Crumpy. Oh, man. We, we did three shows this week. Okay. Sorry. Because somebody went to the hospital yesterday. Yeah, I know. Slacker. Still do three videos, though. How about you? <laughs> Super slacker. <laughs> Total slacker. Yeah, I'm gonna try to. Uh, I I do not have monkey pox corn pop. So, David, just just so people know, you have a YouTube channel, right? The the safety doc. So yeah, if you go to safetyphd.com, um, you'll be able to find. That's my website, and it'll link out to mm -hmm. um, all the shows. So I have 183 shows, and nice. I also write a blog post, and I put them out in audio. I've been on PBS twice; those are free. They're an hour long, so 2019 and 2013. But if you, you know those again, it's just kind of like what we're doing here. Those are PBS presentations. Um, so as if, if you're a parent or a teacher, very well uh, worth spending that time. And again, I mean, this there is no other book out there like School of Airs, and this mm -hmm. uh, is across the world. It, it's, it's a great, um, it's, a, it's a great book. Thanks, and I, I narrated the audio book um, this spring, so that came out in summer. And until the end of the month, it's seven ninety nine on a lot a lot of you just gotta hunt around for it. Some places have it as more, <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's seven ninety nine until the end of the month. But like Downpour has it for seven ninety nine. That's cool, six hours long, and um, yeah, it's it's really essential listening to understand what is going on. And uh, yeah, so I'm I'm. I'm thankful for both of you giving me the opportunity to put this information sure. out there. I mean, it's a little bit, a little bit raw because right. I mean, the, the law just got passed and, and they're going to uh, try to interpret what these things mean. But again, it's one of those, it's like starting the game and you take that receiving kickoff and the rules are being written as you're running up the field is what's happening right now. And to me, that's terrifying. Touchdown. Mm -hmm. John Crump. Yeah. Seventh of the game. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, you're always a great guest because I don't have to do a lot of work and Rich doesn't have to do a lot of work. <laughs> Sit back and just get out of the way. And this is what I kind of needed today. 
Good. Uh, good there, timing. There have been other people that we thought were going to be very good on the show that came on the show, and then Rich and I talked to each other afterwards, and it was like, wow, that was like pulling teeth. Like when you answer the question. So uh, tell us about this. Yeah, that's 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 my that's my book. Okay, well, <laughs> what's your book about? Schools. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, what type of schools? Elementary yeah, schools, high yeah, schools, some, middle schools. Sometimes you, it's <laughs> funny. Some guests can be a little tough to get going, but no, never a problem with you, David. So that's always appreciated. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. You know, again, I beyond this, I love the channel. You know, uh, John, love your channel, um, and, and Rich, love. Uh, I'm always fascinated by the 3D printing, um, as, but everything else too. So both of you add so much uh, value content, right, to to YouTube. So when I go through and I see the little the the little light saying, "Hey, there's something new out from from John or Rich," I'm like, "Boom!" It's over on my. I have three screens mm-hmm. over on my right hand screen. So, really appreciate the work that both of you guys. All do. right, thank you so much. Thank you. All right, Rich, Thanks, you wrap it up. You tell everyone where they can find everyone. Yeah, everybody knows where to find me. Just, uh, you know, Flying Rich official Instagram, Flying Rich everywhere else. Yeah, everybody knows where to find John Crump, right? Yeah, you all know. All right, guys. Yeah. And right, guys. Thanks, Firearms Radio Network. Oh, and we are sponsored oh, by yeah. JSD Supply. I forgot about that. Whoops. You're wearing the shirt. JSD. All right, cool. All right, later.